Hello and get ready. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve Castle of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny for those who are willing to open their hearts to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the Holy Spirit to radically display the Father's love for you. You are part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, i.e. Choose Life. This day I call the heavens and the earth to record a record before you that I, God, have placed for you to choose from life or death. And then God started a political movement 6,000 years ago by saying, choose life. It wasn't political when he did it. Now, for some reason in our generation, it's political to say choose life. But believe it or not, um, God actually makes this choice for everyone. The disheartening thing for me is that there are people out there that make this choice for someone else when they don't have the right to make that choice. The reason that you need to choose life and this, this honestly goes to the core of a lot of truths um, about the kingdom, about, uh, about the opportunities that are available in our lives and our hearts, is that everything you do affects someone else and most likely affects in a really powerful way generations below you. Um, the most devastating thing that happens in a divorce is the destruction of the children from the selfishness of the parents. And if you've been divorced, I mean, just give me a break. Let me, let me preach without getting weird with me. This is a choice by two adults, whether they, they like it or not, whether they want it or not, whether they intended to or not, will bring destruction to children. And before everybody in the room that's never been divorced gets all high and mighty and pious on yourself, you do a ton of this too. There are decisions that you make every day. You go out and cuss someone. You cheat, lie, steal. Um, You do not treat someone with value. You abuse, manipulate, misuse. All of those things go into another person and seed into them death and destruction. There is no single decision that you will ever make that doesn't have an impact on another person. You may think so, but the only way to get there is to not think with God's heart. Because if at a minimum, let's say you singularly do something that is literally just you, and nobody loves you on this earth, nobody cares about you, you still affect God with the decisions that you make. This, above all decisions, should be something that we, as a society, wholeheartedly and in unity embrace between right and wrong. On January 22nd, 1973, the U.S., you see I put Supreme there in quotes. They think they are. They are not the Supreme Court. 
uh, they made abortion legal. The amazing thing is they called it abortion. If they would have called it infanticide or baby murder or something like that, it probably wouldn't have flown, but they created a word um, and used it to make the law look like it was right. And believe it or not, we have a ton of our society that says that if it's legal, it's right. Amen. And I'll say this to you. You probably have that thing going on in you, too. You usually, we, we as a whole tend to justify our own beliefs, our own ways of living, our own activities, our own behaviors, our own uh, personalities, because we actually don't legitimately want to deal with it. And so we just say, well, it's right for me. I spent, oh my gosh, 20, probably 30 years now in, in management or supervision or leadership of some, of some sort. And this is a, this is a main thing, especially in business leadership where people are like, well, I'm just a type A personality. I'm a driver. I'm a type I. Um, there's a lot of different ways to say this. And they say, well, that's, you know, that's why I am what I am. I'm very direct with people. I just kind of, and I'm like, you don't get to run people over by saying that you were created by God to run people over. Well, that's just the way my personality is. Okay. Change it. You, you, you don't get to make the excuse that's just the way it is. We have the creative nature of God to create and change. Anything you excuse, you give permission to exist. Stop excusing the devil working in your life. Don't be like the government and call evil good and good evil. It's an abomination to the Lord. Since then, every 20 seconds, <clears throat> we extinguish a life. Every 20 seconds, we kill a child in this country. Every 20 seconds. Count to 20, one less life. <clears throat> every year, it's about 1.2 million babies. In the past 40 years, it's approximately 70 million. 70 million. That is more than all of the wars that all of humanity have all fought since the beginning of time. And it's amazing to me because some of the same people that are hate war and hate conflict will pay and encourage people to go wage war on the life in their womb. Uh, to put this in perspective, I'm going to see if I can do this. This is the equivalent of Minnesota, South Carolina, Alabama, Louisiana, Kentucky, Oregon, Oklahoma, Connecticut, Utah, Iowa, Nevada, Arkansas, Mississippi, Kansas, New Mexico, uh, Nebraska, Nebraska <laughs> Idaho, West Virginia, Hawaii, New Hampshire, Maine, Montana, Rhode Island, Delaware, South Dakota, North Dakota, Arkansas, Vermont, and Wyoming all added together and killing them. Let's take all that and just kill them because they're inconvenient. 
Because that's what it boils down to. It's just inconvenient. I mean, thank God we don't actually live our lives this way where we just kill folks because they're inconvenient. You know how many dead cops there'd be? You know how many dead toll booth operators there'd be? You know how many dead McDonald's? Never mind. They're gone. We don't get to go resurrect these young folks. In some cases, they actually have their body parts sold and people use them to make makeup and clothing and I know you, there's no way that actually happens. <clears throat> so let me give you some of the pro-murder or pro-abortionist arguments and let's see if we can deal with them together. Um, argument number one, a fetus is not a baby. <laughs> the word fetus is Latin. I know, isn't that hilarious? It's Latin for unborn baby. This is exactly how the enemy works against humanity. Just redefine things, redefine things, redefine. Like, for example, love is sex, right? It's amazing that we'll say that in humanity, but then the same person that says love is sex also says that they love their dog. And they love pizza. And they love their truck. Why would they use a Latin term? It's amazing our society is... uh, I got it. (laughs) It's amazing our society wants to get away from Latin because a lot of scripture... And a lot of the language, like in the King James, a lot of what we use comes from the Latin. A lot of the roots of our religion, our religious philosophies, come from the Latin. But it's amazing how they're going to want to shoot back to Latin whenever it's convenient for them to make an argument against the things of God. So why use a Latin term? In the Dred Scott case, uh, some of you may remember this. Anybody around in 1857? Um, the U.S. You look, you look all right. Um, the U.S. Supreme Court, Supreme, I didn't put quotes on that one because the joke's over. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court said that a black man was not protected by the Constitution because a slave was not a person. A slave was not a person. Now, in, in the U.S. at that time, pretty much all of the slaves were black. What we don't know is that about 35% of all the slaves in the country at that time were actually American Indians that other American Indians had in slavery, but they weren't citizens of the United States, and so this was basically a black and white thing. And so the Supreme Court didn't say that black men and women were not human. They said slaves were not human. It just so happened to be almost the entire black population at that time. I want you to think about this because this is how language gets twisted and manipulated. So because they were slaves, they're not actually human. The Dred Scott case called a human, uh, called a slave three-fifths of a human. Uh, in Nazi Germany, the exact same, they literally took that from our playbook 
And they said, a Jew is not a person. Now, see, you, you got to understand the reason that um, it worked in America was because they used slave and not black. The reason it worked in Nazi Germany is because they used Jew and not olive or whatever. Because it wasn't about skin color. It was had to do with who they were. It was an identity thing. And so in Nazi Germany, Jews were not people. That's why you could exterminate them. You could kill it well. Which is amazing because you're not even allowed to do that to deer in Illinois. But you could do it to people in these two time frames. Because they didn't count as people. Well, let's see what God has to say about that particular abortionist argument. This is Genesis 1.26. Genesis 1. Genesis 1, y'all. Okay, so that's the beginning of the beginning of the beginning. If you, if you get this twisted, the rest of the Bible is all balance. And God said, who? God. So, we have pretty good authoritative declarations from the one who has the right to authoritative declare these truths. God said, not the writer through the parchment of the ink of the pen. God said, God said, let us, us, uh, this is where um, a lot of Jews uh, that are not Messianic Jews get messed up because the Bible actually makes the term for God in this uh, sentence in the Hebrew plural. God is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And right here in the very beginning of the Bible, God refers to himself in the plural. So either he's schizophrenic or he's a trinity. You make the choice. Let us make man in our, they're both <laughs> in the plural. Let us make man in our image. After our likeness. Image, likeness. Those are two different Hebrew words. Because God had two different intentions. And let them, He gave to us dominion. Does everybody know what series I'm pausing right now to do this today? King and kingdom. King and kingdom. The word kingdom is the king's dominion. King's dominion. And let them have, whoop, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Do you have, do you have permission to have dominion over all of the waters? Yes. Are you, are you sure? Y'all paying attention? Over the fowls. Anybody know any fowl folks? Over the cattle. All the farmers said amen. Over all the earth. That's the actual planet itself. Um, so these global warmest or global human change, I don't even know what they call it. They change the name every five years. When I was a kid, it was global cooling. Uh, I'm not making it up. When I went to high school, we were we were we were going to go into another ice age. It was global cooling that humans were doing to the earth because we were using too much hairspray. Don't laugh. It's for real. I sat in the class when they literally rebuked us for using what was it called? Purple rain. Aquanet. Aquanet. 
Aquanet was the Satan of our generation. Man-made global changes. Okay, let me show you what God said. God says we have a right to literally have dominion over all the earth. So if you want to change the human impact on the globe, read your Bible. Thank you for that one. Woo! And over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Anybody know any creeps? Steve knows one creep. And he looked at me. I'm unoffendable, bro. And God created man in his own image. Why his? Why don't we look like platypus? Now, I'm being for real. If we developed from apes, why is there apes? If we came from single-celled organisms, why is there single-celled organism? Why didn't they all... Are you following me? It's because we were created in the image of God. We are the only things that look like this. Because this is what God looks like. You don't believe me? What did Jesus look like? Just like me. (laughs) That's what Kay says. Every morning when I greet her, she says, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Image and likeness. (laughs) Image in in the Hebrew is a word that means, I'm giving you the definition of it, the composition and substance of our being created exactly as the Creator. The inference here is our spirit. We were created in the exact same spiritual context that our Father was. That's what we lost in the fall. We lost that part. That was the important part. The second part... Remember, it was image and likeness. We read it together. Likeness is the recognizable qualities being displayed the same as the Creator. This is our soul. This is our expression. When when you're mean to someone, when you're unkind, when you hurt someone, you are expressing the likeness of Satan. Which is why it's a command from Jesus, and most people have no clue how this works. And I have no time to literally do this. But Jesus said that the great commandment, does anybody remember what the great commandment is? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, first off... um, It wasn't just like the Ten Commandments commandment, because that commandment existed before the Ten Commandments and was referenced outside of the Ten Commandments a lot. So it wasn't like the Ten Commandments. He actually referenced what was the most important. But if you remember in John chapter 13, when Jesus used this to make commands to his disciples, his people, his intimate group, he made a very specific commandment change or adjustment to that command. He said, now, I command you to love one another as I have loved you. 
What the Old Testament commanded or demanded, Jesus expressed. He fulfilled the law, gave us the example of the law, and now, based upon what he has done for us and in us, we can live congruent to the law. You cannot love beyond what you've been loved. This is why a ton of you are are struggling in these areas of life. You cannot give mercy beyond what you really honestly believe you've received mercy. You cannot give forgiveness beyond what you honestly truly believe that you have received from God in forgiveness. You cannot love beyond how much you think God loves you. You cannot be kind beyond what you believe God has been kind to you. You cannot be good beyond what you believe God has been good to you. And it's because we have such a warped understanding of who God is. And we don't let him express mercy, express grace, express love, express forgiveness to us. And it's because we resist that is the exact same, why, same reason that we are evil to other people. Do you remember when Jesus prayed? In fact, in the very uh, verses that Pastor Bob was using this morning, at the end of Mark 11, 22, 23, and 24, that he said, uh, Jesus said, have the faith of God. Have faith in God or have the faith of God. For verily, verily, I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things wherein he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore, I say unto you, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, the next verse that most people don't quote, the next verse is, and when you stand praying, forgive. For if you will not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. And people see stuff like that and they say, oh my God, I better forgive because God won't forgive me. I'll go to hell. <laughs> no. What it's saying is, if you resist forgiveness from God, you have none to give. If you don't forgive, you don't receive forgiveness. If you don't receive forgiveness, you have nothing to give. You can look at a person's life, lifestyle, personality, their, their emotional expressions, and you can see exactly what they believe they're receiving from God. And most people believe they're receiving depression. It's coming down from heaven like black rain. Your soul expresses what you believe your creator to be. This is why some people say, my personality. I don't want my personality. I want his. <clears throat> Argument number two. What about rape and incest? And saving the life of the mother. You hear this come up all the time, don't you? Well, we can't just, can't just get rid of abortion. What about race and inc- what about rape and incest? <laughs> and, and we actually get sucked into this. Believe it or not. We say, well, yeah, well, of course, they must be a lesser quality of human being. <laughs> Amen. So let's talk about rape and incest. <laughs> Wonderful church service. What did you learn at church today? Uh... Ask me later. (laughs) So rape and incest makes up 4% of all abortions. (laughs) And it makes up 96% of all the conversation about abortions. 
so I'm gonna I'm gonna do some really uh, some really interesting stuff here. I'm gonna do this really fast. So if you don't get it, you can get a copy or go watch the YouTube because I'm gonna go super super fast on this, and you're not gonna be able to turn to all the stuff in your Bibles. All right, ready? All right. So in the book of Ruth, everybody know that your Bible has a book called Ruth. Ruth is the story of. <laughs> Stacy's really excited about it because she she actually read that book. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. <laughs> um, the book of Ruth is basically about Ruth and Naomi. Naomi was Ruth's mother-in-law. Um, Naomi uh, and her son moved to a place outside of uh, Israel. They went to a place that was inhabited by people called the Moabites. And uh, Naomi's son married Ruth. And so Ruth was Naomi's daughter-in-law. And then the son died. And normally, at that point, mother-in-law goes back home to Israel, and daughter-in-law stays and does whatever she does. But the unique thing about Ruth is that she had such love and adoration, honor, and value for her mother-in-law that, that she, as a Moabite, literally laid down her gods, laid down her national heritage, took up... Naomi's God took up Naomi's national heritage and went to go and serve her in Israel. It is one of the most beautiful love stories that you'll ever find in all of the scriptures. And it is a type and shadow about Jesus Christ leaving heaven to come for us. And so then uh, Ruth and Naomi go back home to Israel. And Naomi uh, encourages Ruth to go and and live out her character, her godly character that she has adopted. And so in great humility and in great submission, she literally goes and becomes kind of a beggar at a rich farmer's farm. This rich farmer happened to be Boaz. Boaz um, took notice of this incredible godly character that was in Ruth and actually ended up falling in love with her. Long story short, they became married. Uh, Ruth... And Boaz had a son named Obed, and Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a son named King David. King David. The reason King David is here is because King David came from Ruth, a Moabite, Marrying an Israeli, a Jew, whose name was Boaz. Does anybody know where the Moabites come from? So now let's go back up in the Bible. If you take the Moabites back to where they started, there was a guy whose name was Lot. Does anybody remember Lot? Lot was like the bad cousin. Abraham was the good cousin. Lot was the bad cousin, or nephew. Lot went to Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot went to the world. Sodom and Gomorrah, bad. Really bad. So bad, God had to come down and say, you're bad enough to get rid of. And God got rid of them, but because God is gracious and merciful, He's kind and good. He rescued Lot, even though Lot didn't meet the minimum requirements that Abraham prayed for. <laughs> so Lot and his two daughters and his wife fled from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. While they were fleeing... Lot's wife looked back because she longed in her heart to go back to that worldly system that she was fleeing from. How often does this happen in Christianity? And when she looked back, she was turned into a pillar of salt, which is exactly what happens to people in Christianity when they look back. 
they become very salty and hard to deal with, and they have no moistening, which is the Spirit. And so Lot goes with his two daughters, and they uh, go and try to make a new life in another place. Lot's two daughters say, we have got to make sure that the lineage of our father continues. And so they come up with this amazing, wonderful plan that they probably got from Sodom and Gomorrah to get their dad drunk and the first one sleep with him and then get him drunk the next night and the second one sleep with him. And there is where Lot has a son named Moab. So if you're following the story, Moab is the son of incest who started a nation who gave birth to Ruth who married Boaz, who eventually led to King David, who eventually led to Jesus Christ. And that's why you're here. You're here because of incest. That was made right by the cross. God can redeem anyone and anything. Incest is not an okay reason to destroy the redemption of the entire human race. So if it wasn't okay then, it's not okay now. Maybe that story got you, maybe not. There's another story in the Bible. You know, the Bible has all of this great stuff in there that most people don't have a clue about. There's another story in the Bible by the uh, about a gal by the name of Dinah. Dinah was the... Basically, the 13th kid of Israel. If you remember Jacob, who God changed his name to Israel, had the 12 tribes. Well, he also had a daughter, or her name was Dinah. And Dinah was a really, was a really outgoing, um, ambassador type of gal. And so she went over to a neighboring country and she decided to, to go be nice to this group of people. And so, uh, while she was over in this country, the king of that country's son, like, fell in love with her. And by love, fell in lust. And decided to take her, because it was a normal thing. And so the prince of that nation took and raped Dinah. I know, people don't want to talk about this stuff in church, like it doesn't happen. Dinah's... Uh, Brothers, Simeon and Levi, were not too happy about the fact that this prince raped their sister. And so Simeon and Levi decide to come up with this, story, this, uh, this cool plan. They tell everyone, fine, we'll let you have our sister Dinah as being part of your, your, uh, your princely heritage if everybody in this little mini nation will circumcise themselves. <laughs> Amen. So could you imagine the prince standing up? All right, peoples, I have a command from the royal chair of authority. All the men, we're doing a little snip-snip on Tuesday. Okay, prince. Why are we doing this? Well, because I get to have my girlfriend. So they do it. I know, shocking. So they say, okay. <laughs> so the entire nation gets a snip-snip. So while they're recuperating, 
All the men say, ugh. While they're recuperating, Simeon and Levi come in. They must be pretty stout fellas, and they literally kill all the guys of that entire nation to get revenge on the fact that the prince raped their sister. <laughs> no, this, this is the stuff you're missing by not reading your Bible. <laughs> you think soap operas have a lot of drama. Read this thing. So Dinah ends up pregnant. And she flees because she's pregnant out of wedlock. She's pregnant because of rape. And obviously, just like in, in today's world, it's as bad as it is in that world. And so she goes to try to charter her own life. So she flees to Egypt. And Dinah has a baby. And because it was a, da- a baby out of wedlock, and because of rape, she abandons the baby on the walls of one of the Egyptian towns. And then a fella happens to find this abandoned baby, and this fella's name is Potiphar. Potiphar takes this baby into his house and raises it lovingly. There just so happens to be another guy that comes to Potiphar's house a little later on. His name is Joseph. Joseph The coat of many colors, Joseph? Joseph actually was not a tribe of Israel. Because Joseph was so righteous, so godly, so amazing, that Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, become the two tribes representing Joseph and Levi. Because Levi doesn't get to be a tribe because they are going to be priests. And so basically the 12 tribes of Israel are 11 of the brothers. And then Joseph gets two tribes because he was such a great guy. And the two tribes that he gets is Ephraim and Manasseh, the children that he has with Dinah's raped baby. Ta-da! God takes rape and turns it into two of the twelve tribes of Israel. The rest of the world would just kill it. God turns it into two of the tribes of Israel. You are here because of rape and incest. Sechem, after... They did the evil things to him. That was the prince. The next verse after, I think this is in uh, Genesis chapter, it's either 32 or 34. The next verse after Simeon and Levi kill all the bad guys while they were mending from the snip snip. It's the next very next verse of the very next chapter says, And because of what they did, Israel fled to Bethel. And if you know anything at all about the Bible, Bethel is one of the central places and central themes of all of Scripture. The reason that Israel went to Bethel, which means this is where God is, the presence of God. The reason Israel went to the presence of God was because of rape. It's amazing how God can take such terrible things and work them together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Asenath was the the man 
that brought uh, Dinah into Potiphar's uh, realm. So the third argument, what about handicapped and birth defects? Because they say that this is okay. You can kill babies if they're handicapped or birth defected. Let's see what the Bible has to say about that. The first thing I'm going to ask you is, who gets to determine what is a handicap and what is a birth defect? Because if you use Hitler's standard, and, and I'm not being facetious, Hitler said six foot tall, blonde haired, and blue eyed. Everything else was a defect. You think I'm kidding. Margaret Sanger, who created Planned Parenthood, literally started Planned Parenthood to kill minorities because minorities were dirty and ignorant. She literally said, black people are dirty and ignorant. We're going to start an organization to kill black people. It's called Planned Parenthood. And the reason that it exists so much, I, I double dog dare you to go Google all the addresses of the Planned Parenthood. And you'll find 80% of them are in lower income areas on purpose to kill black folks. The, the only reason that it survived, because she was a eugenicist, she literally wanted to kill off an entire race of people. The only reason it survived was because Margaret Sanger went to these inner cities and she paid preachers in black churches to tell their congregation how good of a thing Planned Parenthood was. And the preachers did it. And now Planned Parenthood is responsible for 34% of every murdered baby because preachers were bought off. So whose opinion? And I'm leaving that open-ended. Because what I would call a defect or what I would call a handicap might be different than what you would call a defect or a handicap. Just how perfect do you have to be? It's a good question, right? I mean, if we're going to kill babies for birth defects and for handicaps, then what is perfect that lets a baby live? I mean, thank God that both of my kids aren't perfect. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> in fact, in some re if those of you that have kids, some of their imperfection things are like the most adorable parts of them. My wife has, she's not up here. My wife has a mole, like right here. And it is the coolest thing for all the kids. They love playing with it because she calls it her, I think, her love button, which, her button. It's her button. So at any time any little baby touches her mole, she goes, hey, and she kisses them. And so all these little babies love her little mole. So she took a defect, a little mole on her chin, and she turned it into a tool to use to get the love of God into babies. Amen. So is it a defect? Depends. Hitler would have killed her. Do you believe that defective people should be put to death? Raise your hand if you think defective people should be put to death. Because welcome to beloved church. <laughs> Where you're greatly loved in all of your defects. 
<laughs> Genesis 3.6, and I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. Whoever sheds man's blood unlawfully by man, which is judicial government, shall his blood be shed. For in the image for, the reason is, referring back to Genesis 1.26, the reason that, that the literal governmental systems of this planet, God instituted, a cor- or not corporal, uh, capital. capital punishment, God instituted capital punishment in human government because humans were created in the image of God. And if you killed an image of God, you had to die. The price of blood is blood. God literally created capital punishment. Ta-da! Shocking. Why? Because you have no right to innocently take the image of God off the earth. To God, this isn't about people. To God, this is about His image in His creation. In the New Living, it says, If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in His own image. So does God approve the killing of defective and or handicapped people. Anybody know this guy? Ludwig von Beethoven. He is probably the most recognized musician to have ever lived besides David. (laughs) So, Ludwig von Beethoven was so exceptionally blessed with talent and skill in in music that at eight he performed for royalty playing the piano. Eight years old. At 12, he wrote his own symphony. He was also defective and handicapped because he was very, very sickly when he was young. At the age of 22, he started losing his hearing. At the age of 47, he was completely deaf. At the age of 22, after he started losing his hearing, it progressed so fast, and it was such a terrible experience for him that he had depression and all these kind of other things. But music was something that helped him. It got so bad that he would take a wooden pole And he would bite down on a wooden pole and he would lay the wooden pole on the piano while he played the piano to get the resonance from the keys to make sure that the music that he was writing was in tune. Incredible. At 47, completely deaf. And he writes Symphony Number 9. The most famous music work in all of human history. While he's completely deaf. It's 70 minutes long. And uses every instrument in a full orchestra that he wrote every music line for every instrument. While he was completely deaf. So should we kill handicapped people? Why was he so sickly when he was a baby? Many people do not know this, but his mother, Maria, was married to a wonderful guy, had two children, both the children died young, 
The husband that she was married to ended up dying tragically, so she remarried. She made a bad decision in remarrying. She married an abusive, drunk, failing musician. The abusive, drunk, failing musician blamed Maria for all of the problems in his life, just like every other jerk has ever done that lives that way. And he would rape Maria. And when Maria got pregnant, he got even more irate with Maria because now she's pregnant. And I guess raping pregnant gals is not okay when the other kind is. And so he went out and got all of his, his, he was a womanizer. And so he would get prostitutes and other girls. And he eventually brought home some kind of an STD, gave it to Maria Maria had an STD. Maria was lamenting life. She was physically abused. She was sexually abused. She was emotionally abused. She was pregnant. And she'd already had two babies die. She was completely convinced that the the best thing that she could do would be to kill this baby to have an abortion. And she would have been justified a million times over in today's society. So she went to get the potion that they used back then to kill the insides of a people. And a lot of times these gals didn't survive the abortions. And she went to get it, and right before she was going to get it, there was a major accident. She didn't take it. She just had a little bitty tiny taste of it. Went to the hospital, gave birth to Ludwig von Beethoven, who barely survived by the hair on his chinny-chin-chin an abortion. A failed abortion attempt. Who was born in some of the most miserable circumstances to one of the most miserable people on the planet. And everyone in here has probably been moved and touched by things that he has done musically. Anybody know who this is? His name is Sir Isaac Newton. He has a quote that says, Gravity explains the motions of the planets, but it cannot explain who sets them in motion. Most people don't know this. Sir Isaac Newton was a strong Christian. Sir Isaac Newton was also a defect. He had a handicap. A lot of people don't know that. Sir Isaac Newton had Asperger's. He was born with it. He was incredibly awkward in social encounters. He was so, uh, he was so unique, let's just say, that if he showed up to give a speech about one of his, uh, theories and nobody showed up to hear him because he was going to give a speech on mathematics, and can I tell you that that's usually not the place that'll fill the house? And if nobody showed up, he gave the speech anyway because he was so Asperger's. And he's known as the father of physics. The reason we know the laws of physics today the way that we do is because of Sir Isaac, Sir Isaac Newton, who was knighted later on as a handicapped, defective person. You had to take geometry in school because of him, so you can love him or hate him. But either way, 
He demonstrated an obsessive single-mindedness that is uh, commonly associated with Asperger's. Newton is now widely recognized as one of the most influential scientists of all time and a key figure in the scientific revolution. Thank God we didn't kill a handicapped, defective person by the name of Sir Isaac Newton. This gal is Susanna. Oh, Susanna. Susanna had a very interesting life. She married a preacher. You already have mercy for her. She married a preacher who couldn't manage money. I mean, I'm not saying, just saying. They disagreed on everything from money to politics. They had 19 children. Hey, hey, preachers are okay at some stuff. All, all except 10 of them died. They had 19 children, nine of them died. Sam, her husband, left her to raise the children alone for very long periods of time. This was sometimes over something as simple as a little argument. He would just leave, weeks and months, while she's taking care of up to 19 children. One of their children was crippled. Another couldn't talk until he was six years old. Susanna herself was desperately sick most of her life. Desperately sick. By the grace of God, she survived. There was no money for food or anything, and debt plagued them. So they were the poor of the poor of the poor. Here's how poor they were. Sam was once thrown into debtor's prison because their debt was so high, which obviously doubled their problems. There's a reason debtor's prison doesn't exist anymore. Twice the homes they lived in were burned to the ground, losing everything they owned. It was assumed that the church members did it because they were so mad at what Sam preached at the pulpit. Can I tell you how much I love beloved church? How often I pray for you, your lovely hearts. Praise Jesus. Someone slit their cow's udders so that their cow could not give them milk, could not give their children milk. Again, another person in their church mad at them. I know Christians would never do that. Someone killed their dog because he preached a sermon they didn't like. And someone burned down their flax field because they didn't like his sermons. Wasn't a very successful preacher. So... Two of those 19 children that Susanna had, um, one of them was born in 1703, one of them was born in 1707. Um, the first one's name was, Char- was, uh, was John, and the second one's name was Charles. Susanna's last name was Wesley. John and Charles Wesley grew up in this environment. John and Charles Wesley are the founders of Methodism. Charles Wesley has writ, has, did write over 9,000 hymns, many of which you have sung. John Wesley started the Methodist Church, many of which you have been redeemed from. They also started... <laughs> Sorry, I take that back. Um, <laughs> that's true. I've known some Methodist preachers, and I've quoted uh, John Wesley to some Methodist preachers, and they've gotten mad at me. 
Um, they are basically single-handedly responsible for what was called the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening. So if, it, if we're allowed to kill babies in terrible poverty situations, under distress, under all these bad circumstances, you and I would not have John and Charles Wesley. John Wesley preached to... Um, at the age of 70, he preached one message that 32,000 people got born again in. <laughs> Without a microphone. We could talk about John and Charles Wesley for a while. Let's talk about another gal. Anybody know who this is? Mary. Yeah, it's not really Mary. Uh, I know that's shocking to you. Um, this is an artist portrayal of something that they think it was. Let me give you the reality of it. The gal in this wonderful artist portrayal, this gal right here is not really, really pretty 22-year-old. She's actually 13. Maybe 16. But most of the historians and theologians believe that she was 13. At 13 years old, about a month after she became pregnant, walked 120 miles that took her six days to go visit her cousin Elizabeth. She spent three months caring for and being with her cousin Elizabeth and then walked 120 miles back at 13 years old back home to the place where they really didn't like her very much because she was that girl. We know the end of the story. They didn't. And in that time, if you were that girl, you actually had legal rights to kill them, to stone them to death. It was legal to do that, to stone them to death for being that girl. She walked this 120 miles twice while pregnant, by herself most likely, on some of the most dangerous roads known in the entire region. At nearly nine months pregnant, the government forced everybody to go pay taxes in their hometown, and so Mary and Joseph had to walk to Bethlehem, which was 130 miles. And for those of you that think that she rode in a Cadillac or she had a 747, no. It's walk. And they speculate that it took them about six days. So at eight and a half, nine months pregnant, she walked for six days in the hot Judean weather as that girl to go pay taxes with her fiancé as a slave to another nation. In today's world, probably 100% of women in that situation would absolutely abort the baby. Thank God Mary didn't. We have been redeemed because this 13-year-old girl was willing to go through all of that to bring the Savior into the world.
22% of all pregnancies are terminated by abortion. 22% of all pregnancies are terminated by abortion. I'm pausing. So you can wrap your head around the fact that one, nearly one quarter of every pregnancy results in the mother ending that pregnancy by choice. Which makes the womb literally the most dangerous place in the entire earth. It is literally the most dangerous place on earth. You are way more likely to go to the south side of Chicago and throw up a blood or a crip sign and cuss people out and survive than you are to just be a baby in a womb of a woman. In fact, during the height of, uh, of the Gulf War, it would have been safer for you to go take an American flag, wrap it around you, and walk around Mosul in ISIS-controlled Mosul. It would have been safer, and you were less likely to die than just being a baby in the womb of a woman. Argument number four, doesn't a woman have the right to choose? Yes. A human does, a woman does have a right to choose. Before. A human ovum together with a human sperm produces a biologically identifiable human embryo. It has separate and unique genetic information and biological material. Every cell in a woman's body has exactly the same 46 chromosomes and exactly the same genes. Every cell is identical in that way, except for the cells in that baby. The baby has a different set of chromosomes and a different set of genes. The fetus, unborn baby in Latin, is not a subhuman species. The embryo is alive, human, and unique in the special environmental support required for that stage of human development. This statement comes from 60 prominent physicians. Blah, 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 The moment of conception, it's a baby. It just needs a unique environment. It's nothing different than the, at the moment of birth, the baby needs another unique environment. It needs the breast of its mother. It needs the love of its father. It needs to be cared for. It needs, it's no different just because the womb is an environment that is necessary for growth and development any more than outside of the womb. There needs to be an environment created for them to grow and develop. <clears throat> Unborn human life in the Old Testament. Psalms 139. This is in the Bible. I know you're staring at me like I'm making this up. Verse 13 says, For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. 
I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully, and that word in the Hebrew actually means separately made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knows right well. My substance was not hid from you when I was made in secret and curiously wrought. The word curiously wrought in the Hebrew means embroidered. That's what your Father in heaven did with you. In the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. Raise your hand if you're perfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuous were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. I'm going to give you this verse in the, uh, the central Jewish Bible. Your eyes could see me as an embryo, but in your book all my days were already written. My days had been shaped before any of them existed. Every time a person chooses to extinguish a human life, they have literally made themselves God and rewrote the book. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. This is Jeremiah. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God told Jeremiah that before he was born, he called him a prophet. God called a fetus a prophet. I think God knows the value of life more than humans do. In the New Testament, when Elizabeth, this is Luke chapter 1, this is the cool Christmas story. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, the pregnant Elizabeth, who had a baby in her womb, was used the Greek word brephos. The Greek word brephos describing John the Baptist in the womb of his mother Elizabeth. In Luke chapter 1. And so you're thinking, well, that, I mean, that's one word because the Bible's going to use one word for in the womb and a whole other word for out of the womb. In Luke chapter 2, same book of the Bible, one chapter later, there's another story about another brephos. For there is born to you in this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find Christ the Lord, a brephos, born out of the womb, wrapped in swaddling clothes. The Bible says, baby in a womb, brephos. Baby out of the womb, brephos. Jesus out of the womb, brephos. John the Baptist in the womb, brephos. So what does the Bible say about unborn life? Most women who get abortions don't fit the description. Most are not overburdened or unwed teens. Two-thirds of the women who abort their babies are over 20, white, and middle class. And more than 40% of all abortions are performed on patients for the second, third, or fourth time around. 76% of women who abort their babies are unmarried. 53% have no other children. So we're not necessarily talking about teenage girls who just got pregnant. We're talking only about Poverty, we're not talking only about poverty-stricken women who can't afford a baby. 
Most of these women have participated in illicit sex, what the Bible calls fornication. I know, God forbid, we should talk about fornication at church. That God actually has a plan for how sex is done and with whom. I mean, what does he know? It's not like he's God. And are using abortion as a means of birth control. So because we're not doing sex the right way, we're going to fix it. We're going to right the wrong of fornication by just killing the baby. Makes total sense. They're using it as a means of birth control, or they are professionals who don't want their lives interrupted by children. I've met these gals when I was in the business world. If they got pregnant, one of my good friends, she got pregnant from fornication, and she had an abortion. And she was a, I, I won't say her daughter, um, good friend of mine. And which is, to me, it's equivalent of, while I was in the corporate world, why wouldn't I just kill my boss and get his job? What's the difference? If I'm going to kill a baby to keep my job, why can't I kill my boss to get his job? Which one is more or less moral? They teach ethics in business. And in ethics in business, in business college, they tell you you're not allowed to kill people to get their jobs. Unless you're a woman and you're pregnant. Number three, unborn human life must be protected. This is what the scriptures say. Choosing to terminate a pregnancy is, in fact, taking a human life. The Bible tells us that our responsibility is to rescue those being led away to death. Rescue. That's a far cry from murder. Hold back the staggering towards the slaughter. If you say, we knew nothing about this. If you say, do you see this? This is the Bible. If you say, well, God. I lived in, in Lena. Like, there ain't a lot of this going on. We have no abortion clinics in Lena. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? Or not done? Exodus chapter 20. There are six things that the Lord hates. Our Exodus chapter 20 says, you shall not murder. A lot of people quote that, thou shalt not kill. That's not what the Bible says. It actually says, you shall not commit murder. Murder and killing are two different things. Proverbs 6 says that there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. The Lord hates hands I know you're saying, like, God doesn't hate nothing. God loves everyone and everything. You are foolish. The Lord hates hands that shed innocent blood. Does anybody know what the seventh thing that he hates that turns the whole list into an abomination is? I'll give, I'll give an extra bonus cookie to anybody that knows the seventh thing. He who, show, he who sows discord among the brethren. God says that he, the person that runs around the church talking about other people in the church is equal to a person that sheds innocent blood. 
So what can you do? First thing, you can be informed. If, if anything I told you shocks you, <laughs> good. Which just means you're not informed. How can you be informed? IFI is Illinois Family Institute. AFA is American Family Association. Uh, FPC is the Freeport Pregnancy Center. Uh, NPLA is the National Pro-Life Association. You can get informed. You can get on their email list. They can tell you what to do. I mean, it can be as simple as literally signing petitions, um, showing up at, at specific rallies, sending letters to encourage legislators to stop murdering. I mean, it's not like you need to go and sacrifice yourself on the altar underneath a tank outside of an abortion clinic. There are things that you can do. One of the main things you can do is talk about it. If you change a heart, you change the world. One heart. One heart. One heart. You can change a heart. You have the grace on the inside of you to do that. Another thing you can do is be compassionate. I don't know if you've noticed this through the course of this, but I did not lambast these women. I lambasted their choices. These women are precious. And mostly the reasons that they're making the decisions to terminate these pregnancies is because of jerk men who are not actually men. All they are is sex-crazed teenagers who don't know how to follow through on their own personal responsibilities. Amen. Amen. Don't make me get on that soapbox because I will go off. Because these gals would be wait, you know, one of the things that probably kept Mary through 130 miles, eight and a half months pregnant was Joseph. The angel appeared to both of them and said, Joseph, you're having a baby. It's Jesus. Okay. Mary, you're having a baby. It's Jesus. Okay. By the way, you gotta walk 130 miles when you're eight, nine months pregnant. Okay. Joseph probably helped her, supported her, loved her, gave her grace. A lot of the reason these women are making these choices is because the men are not doing what they were created by God to do. Which is care for, protect, guard, love, and honor the women that are in their lives. And we know that these these men are infeminate and incapable of actually being what they're created to be because they won't even marry the women. If you won't commit to them in the, in the unity of marriage, in the covenant of marriage, how in the world do you think that they'll ever commit to you during the terrible times of pregnancy? And these poor gals get sucked into it because these guys give them goo-goo eyes, buy them flowers, and say that they're going to love them forever. One of the ways that these guys can prove they're going to love you forever is to marry you. <laughs> I can go off on these fellows. Because they're an abomination to God. God didn't create men to go impregnate women. God created men to be fathers after His image. Man, i got to keep moving. Be active. Anything you fall asleep on, 
Anything you let happen, by default, you promote. This is how the church made this happen. When they were coming for the babies in the womb, the church said, hey, 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 we're not getting involved in politics. And so you know what Satan said? I will. Wherever the church exits is the exact same door that Satan enters. Why do I believe? Why am I in politics? Why am I engaged in politics? Why do I hold politicians accountable? Why do I? Because I'm not going to take Jesus out of politics. Education, business world, everything. I got my hands in everything, everything, everything. Because I got enough Jesus to go into all those realms. And so do you. Whatever you exit from, whatever you say, here you go, devil, he will say thank you. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. Probably everybody in this room pays your taxes under penalty of jail. So if you give your taxes because they threaten to do whatever they threaten to do to you, but you don't give to God the things that are God's, which is protect the unborn, Our, one of our founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, said, the care of human life and happiness and not their destruction is the first, that's first, and only legitimate object of good government. All the other stuff? <laughs> Amen. Not saying we should have a civil war. I'm just saying I don't like it. I contemplated putting this slide in because I know how people are. So if this really, really, really offends you, give me grace. <laughs> now I'm even losing my courage as I think about it. Americans spend $75 billion, that's with a B, $75 billion a year on pets. I'm believing God for a new church building to be able to house all you awesome folks that are piling in a place every Sunday. And I'm struggling to come up with $160,000. Pets get $75 billion. Some of you pay more for your pets than you tithe. If you harm your pet, depending on the circumstances, it would be a class six felony. And you could have a $150,000 fine and potentially up to one and a half years in federal prison for harming your pet. Your pet. <clears throat> if I climbed up, <laughs> I was going to say in a sycamore tree. If I climbed up in a tree... Uh, right outside Lock and Dam number 16 in uh, Savannah and climbed up high enough and found a bald eagle's nest and decided I was going to take a picture while I climbed up in the tree and found the bald eagle's nest 
And while I was precariously getting my iPhone camera to focus, I slipped and I cracked the eagle egg. It is a maximum fine of $100,000 and one year of imprisonment for the first conviction. And it's been that way since 1940. If I accidentally crack a bald eagle egg, accidentally crack a bird's egg, the federal government for the last 70 years, 60 years, has had it in place to make sure that I go to prison. If I impregnate my girlfriend out of wedlock and send her to Planned Parenthood, she will actually leave with money. They will pay her to come to Planned Parenthood. In Illinois, Governor Pritzker said that he wants to make Illinois the abortion destination of the nation. In Illinois, if you are from out of state and you call and you say, I want to get an abortion, they will put you up in a hotel. They will arrange transportation. They will give you money to eat while you are here to get your abortion. And they will give you money to leave and go back home with. And if I crack a bald eagle's egg, Mother Teresa says, the greatest destroyer of love and peace is abortion, which is war against the child. The mother doesn't learn to love, but kills to solve her own problems. Any country, any country that accepts abortion is not teaching its people to love, but to use any violence to get what they want. Maybe you don't agree with Mother Teresa, but she's right. And we are teaching a generation to not value human life. And we're three generations in, which is why our legislators right now are looking at laws on how to put to death the old and infirmed while they're in nursing homes. Because they're useless. Of course we kill useless humans. There's no value for life. We have video games that literally reward you and give you points for the more kills and the more devastating the kills are. A headshot is worth extra points. I know. I, yeah, here goes Pastor. He's off on video games and TV. No, I know. I know. Silly me. Pay attention to your world and realize how value lists human lives are. I have had people have their dogs attack me while I've been out walking. And I have kicked at, at the dogs and had their owners call the police on me. Because their dog attacked me and I kicked at it to protect myself and their owners called the police on me. Their dogs were worth more than I was. And justified the activities. I'm telling you, this happens every day. Every day. 
And until we start to work against the culture, this is only going to get worse. Choose life. All right, I'd like to bless you, so please rise. Thank you so much for sharing a few moments with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his precious, life-changing word. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry of Pastor Steve Castle and Beloved Church, please visit us online at BelovedChurchIllinois.com or call us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are part of the Beloved Family of God, and at Beloved Church, this is where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. Beloved, I pray, I desire, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body. And all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you, and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved. Speak life.